2: if it doesn't work you're just not using enough you're listening to soft Rep radio special operations military news and straight talk with the guys in the community
4: hey what's going on welcome to another episode of soft rep radio i am your lucky host to get to interview these two magnificent writers and historians, starting with Craig Reed and James Reif. James is a total historian, has written books on many things, and including the Ukraine conflict, which has been going on for about six months now when you're listening to this. You know, it's the year 2022, I'll just let you know. So for the last six months, we've been hearing about the conflict in Ukraine and I'm going to bring on James and Craig to fill us in on why they're going back to the 800s. Why is Vladimir Putin trying to bring back Peter the Great and Catherine the Second, the Great? Why is he obsessed with this? Please, now let's hear what you have to say. Welcome to the show.
5: Well, thank you very much. Uh... The relationship between uh, Russia and Ukraine goes back to the Dark Ages in a lot of ways. And as Craig and I have talked about, it's really a tale of two cities between Moscow and Kiev. And around in the 9th century, Kiev was the uh, cultural and uh, social and economic center of the Slavic world. And uh, Moscow was a rival and ultimately, Kiev was cut short by the Mongols in the 13th century, so Moscow surpassed it. Long story short, Ukraine is a borderland between Central Europe and Eurasia. It's in the same geographic position as Poland. you got Russia to the east, and then the Germans, Austro-Hungarians, and Romanians to the west, so they're squeezed. So, during its history, Ukraine has been controlled by the Poles, Lithuanians, on and off by the Russians. And it's a messy, chaotic history. My background is in Russian and modern European history. that's why I studied in college, so I knew all this going into the war. But the long and short of it is, uh, Ukraine was a founding uh, state of the Soviet Union in 1922. And the breakup in 1991 was traumatic for the Russians. And uh, the Ukrainians... Had mixed feelings about, it, uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. In the eastern part of the country, they're more Russian-based, whereas in the west, they're more open to the west, the Western, uh, Western Europe. So there's a split like inside European Ukraine style. itself. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and Putin has played on that. Of course, he, you know, he's throwing in a lot of overtones from World War II, making these arguments that Ukraine somehow, you know, infested with Nazis, which is really not true, but that's how he's selling it to his own population. So this conflict goes, goes back to Putin really, in a way, wants to rebuild the Soviet Union. He's always lamented the collapse of the Soviet Union. And he's fought smaller wars uh, with Chechnya, Georgia, South Ossetia. And he's picked off pieces of them to rebuild that sphere of influence. So in the current conflict, which really began 2014, when uh, he engineered the uh, secession of uh, Donbass region. Crimea. Uh, which is blue oh, yep, okay, uh, sure. Crimea, and then uh, Luhansk and Donetsk Oblast, mm-hmm. as they're called. Mm-hmm. And that just triggered the war because the Ukrainians... Uh, counterattacked in what they called an anti-terrorist operation. It, it launched eight years of low-grade warfare between the two sides. And that brings us to mm-hmm. February 24th, in which Putin has engineered this wholesale invasion to try to take Ukraine whole hog, it, it looks like, at least a good chunk of it. So it's a really messy, chaotic history. It goes back a 1,000 years. Ukraine has its it own sure mess. Ukraine has its own national identity, has its own language, has its own, in a way, its own culture. So there's a misperception out there among the general public that Ukraine has always been part of Russia. It has not. So uh, it's a sovereign country since 1991, and apparently Putin wants it back. So here we are.
4: Now, if I understand this correctly, like, you know, I was reading through your book in 1954. It was given to, uh, you -hmm. know, its own statehood, and it was annexed because— So it could be Ukraine just to get rid of the nuclear arms because they had so many that 1600 like, uh, you know, warheads or Mm -hmm. capable munitions. And they said, hey, we'll make you your own state. You agree to these terms. And they did. And Russia was supposed to have this, you know, parlay. You're not supposed to mess with them. And then now here comes Russia after they've agreed and lived up to their end of the deal to try to take it back. You know, I'm baffled by it because it's like Mexico trying to come take Utah.
5: Yeah. And I think it's a calculation that Putin has made, that there is a treaty on the books, uh, the Bucharest Memorandum, in which uh, the United States and the United Kingdom, Britain, basically guaranteed Ukraine security if Ukraine would give up its nuclear weapons. And Russia signed that treaty. And I think Mm -hmm. Putin has made a cynical calculation that he can, you know, renege on that treaty and there be no consequences. He's found out, you know, that that's not necessarily true that hasn't happened so uh, but yeah Ukraine's been sovereign since 1991 the breakup of the Soviet Union it's had its own problems it's by no means peers driven snow I mean they've had a lot of their own sure. cor- corruption problems they've had political instability they had a couple of revolutions one of the, the most recent one was in 2013 2014 which always precipitated the the, the invasion of Crimea and then Donbass so mm-hmm. Ukraine has had stability well, was- problems.
4: Well, and they had to go in and, uh, you know, recalculate their presidential elections just recently, like within the last 10, Mm -hmm. 15 years to remove and replace or, you know, just to stifle the argument of like there was corruption in the elections. And so then they put in a president, which is not Mm -hmm. the current one. Zelensky is not who we're talking. I think it starts with a Y. You probably know his name. Viktor Yanukovych. Yukovych. Yanukovych. Now, Yanukovych. Did he fairly get in or did they – put him in was that the was he the fix or was he the problem
5: he was the problem he was a long time uh, uh, russia support supporting politician he had a lot of support in the donbass region and he uh, was an ally of vladimir putin and uh, what well, actually precipitated this whole series of events that brought us to the current war was that he had agreed to sign a tre- an economic treaty with uh, Western European nations. And then at the last moment, he reneged on that in favor of another treaty with the Eurasian nations. And that's when the revolt in, to- in November 2013 called the Euro Maiden Revolution broke out. And he was driven from power in February 2014. In fact, in fact, he fled in the middle of the night and went to Russia. The next day, the Ukrainian parliament Go stri- figure. yeah stripped him of his office <laughs> and declared him a traitor. And he's currently got an arrest warrant out for him in Ukraine. So he went to, he went to Russia. He's been buying his time over the last eight years. In the meantime, Crane held a uh, new election. I believe it was June 2014 and elected another president, Poroshenko. And then he was defeated in April 2019 by Vladimir Zelensky, the current president. So those elections were more or less free and fair. But of course, in Luhansk and Donetsk, being pro-Russia, having a strong Russian influence, they thought that the 2014 election was corrupt. So that gave them grounds of which they supposedly sus- succeeded. And there are a couple of referendums. It's debatable where the referendums were in good faith or, or had been engineered by Putin. That's been indetermined at this point. But that precipitated, which at that point was a civil war. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. 2014, Yanukovych uh, fled the country, gave up his office, And so a new president was installed, and then he was defeated by Zelensky. So Zelensky is the lawfully elected president of Ukraine as of today.
4: And that is who we were withholding military arms, and the whole impeachment of our U.S. president was involved with Zelensky, where it was like, hey, you look into this fiasco for me, and I'll give you military aid, withholding that, knowing what was about to happen. And so now we have... You know, so that's the same. That's who we're talking about. Currently, this Mm -hmm. Zelensky is still in office and he's putting up a fight against Vladimir. He's literally like showing up in a in a sweater with a sleeve that has like a zipper for whatever he needs to store in it. And he's like ready to go. I think he's like 44 years old. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he's not afraid to, uh, you know, use the Internet.
5: Well, Zelensky, before he became president, he's actually a very successful uh, actor and comedian in Ukraine. Mm. And he started as a teenager, and he built a career as, uh, in the entertainment industry. And he actually had a very successful sure. series in Ukraine from 2015 to 2018 called Servant of the People, in which he played a history teacher who was frustrated and got elected president of Ukraine. And he used it as a springboard <laughs> to run a real campaign in 2019. To become? The president. So he, yeah. So it's a lot. It's a lot like electing Jerry Seinfeld and having him as or Ronald as the, Reagan, or, or Ronald Reagan, an actor, which is you know,
4: or the he, last guy, Trump. He was an actor, exactly. He, he total actor, dude.
5: <laughs> yeah, Zelensky. Actually, I think Putin calculated that he's a lightweight, and that he was a pushover, and not many people took him seriously right. because of that background. But when he, you know, on the night of the 24th, February 24th, when the Russians invaded, he said, send me ammunition. I don't need a ride that showed, you know, he actually had some steel in him. So, you know, he's he's like, I'm in the trenches, you know? Yeah.
4: Yeah. He's in the trenches. That's how I perceive him. If he's coming off like that and he's saying what he is, then, you know, hey, he's he's going to go down with the ship. He is that captain. And, uh, you know, you need that captain to have that for your own fighters. Your fighters seeing him fighting is going to make them fight.
2: Yeah, the, uh, the night of 24th, he went out onto the streets with his close staff and said, I am here. Come get me. So he's talking the Russians. And the Russians tried and failed miserably.
4: Now, Craig, he has been antagonizing the Russians. He goes to places, shows up at places. He's like, you think I'm not in the Ukraine somewhere? You think I've fled? to some other land who's trying to backdoor me as their puppet. He's like, no, I'm here at this, at this building. Unfortunately, you know, blowing up hospitals, you know, and the prisons and things like that, just, it's just kind of a wrong thing to do. Geneva conventions, you know, they are not playing by any Geneva conventions accord. I feel like, you know, the Russian troops are just sporadically attacking as they're told to do so because of some thing their leadership has commanded them to do. Right, it's either you go fight or you die. I've seen enemy at the gates. Right, we know how it is. You pick up this rifle when he dies, and there's well, your ammunition. You're gonna go, and if you turn around, we're gonna blow tick, 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 well, you down.
2: Compared to today's army and the army of the gates was well led and trained. That's <laughs> the one <clears> thing I could take from this. Well, there you go. That the Russian army today is not the Red Menace of the 1980s. It is a shadow of its. 1980 power projection. I mean, all you had to do was look at the plan they came up with. It was this complicated plan, hit the Ukrainians from four different directions, you know, take the capital, and it was, war supposed to be over in three days. Guess what? They're still fighting. It shows you something really went wrong. Mm-hmm. And part of it is, the Russian army, well, most of us the Russian army. I mean, they lack infantry. They're, they have, they have infantry battalions that are maybe the size of a reinforced Marine, U.S. Marine Corps company. That like they are so. Like that's yeah, the size. that's the size. What they're supposed to have is in the uh, motorized infantry platoon. They have three. Three APCs, three I, IFEs, and a dismount element. So you've got two or three guys in the vehicle. They need a dismount element of four to five. And some of those battalions, there is no dismount element. It's just it's just the guys in the vehicle. And that has caused some problems because their armor, armor and infantry need each other. And what's happening is armor is not getting the infantry protection so you've got Ukrainians running around popping up firing a javelin or in-law taking out a tank and then boom off again before the infantry can react so that's the biggest thing I found that the supply problems their supply problems are you know remember the convoy from going nowhere sat there for days. Well, bits and pieces were being picked off by Ukrainians who were running up and down the line, finding a target, firing off again. Yep. They are the biggest difference, I think, is the command style. After uh, 2014, Ukrainians realized that their army, before blunt, sucked. So they turned to NATO and said, Can you help us? And that's what NATO did. They helped them. Exactly. They start teaching these junior officers to take initiative, because still in the Russian army, your junior officers can't do anything. They got to get uh, the go ahead from uh, up the line, which is why you're seeing a lot of colonels and generals dead on the Russian side, because they're coming up to try and solve problems that in a NATO army would be solved by majors and captains. Yeah, forcing major generals to act as battalion commanders, essentially, yeah.
0: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com.
3: No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The West came over
4: and sent some Green Berets, perhaps, to work with the Ukrainians when the airliners were getting shot down by Russian, you know, anti-aircraft. You know, you just don't do that. And so all of a sudden, there's a need back then to say, OK, are they coming in? Are they trying to turn the oil off to Europe? Are they trying to take over Crimea? Are they trying to just cause that to be its own statehood so that they can say they own it? And uh, it was never agreed to by Ukraine to be annexed. It's always been considered to be a part of Ukraine, but Russia considers it Russia. And then you have, you know, okay, here comes some special forces guys coming in to help work with our allies. And they're going to say, hey, this is exactly how you use this piece of equipment. This is what's going to happen one day. You need to be prepared. Whereas what you're saying, Craig, if I understand this correctly is, Russia just kind of sat back, rested on its red laurels that it has and all of its history and didn't up-train themselves to prepare to move a convoy across the bridges. And if they got blown up, what do they do to resupply? Or if X, Y, and Z happens, how do they counter that measure? They're just kind of doing what the Germans did in World War II and surrounding
2: themselves. Well, the Russian supply is rail dependent. And in the early part of the war... Not only did Ukraine blow up all the entry points into Ukraine from Russia and Belarus, we have had Belarusians who were uh, doing their own thing to sabotage the supplies coming in from Belarus into Ukraine. So the supply suck the command sucks, and you can see yep. leadership. leadership sucks. I mean, what level is left? I mean between generals and colonels. I think the US lost one general in the twenty years of fighting between Afghanistan and uh, Iraq, and that was because it was a blue and blue situation. I just saw a couple of days ago that I mean another two or three generals have been killed. Russian generals have been killed. ukraine are
4: claiming it. I think just today, it's uh, September 1st, so it's shelling going on around the nuclear plant in the Ukraine area, so they're currently under siege right there. And, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to poke a bear, okay? I'm not trying to say, hey, someone's going to listen to this in Russia and be pissed at Rad having this conversation saying that you suck. All right, dude, look, you can stop. You can just stop the war, really. I mean, you can just stop, put your guns down, go home. Go to your family. I'm really just saying that. Have some cookies and some milk and just end this whole thing. You can do that. If you listen to this somehow, I'm not trying to poke your bear and say you suck, okay? All right. You're under orders. I get it. We've all been under orders in our lives. So I think what we're trying to do is explain, like, you know, just let Ukraine live as Ukraine and Russia can be Russia. But right now, it's looking really bad for Russia, right? All of Russia. It's Vladimir is preach. Go ahead. McDonald's is changing. You know everything is changing over there. It's completely
2: well. Give an example. Uh, you know,
4: of falling the
2: apart. Russian confidence. Chernobyl dry right up there near the Belarusian border. So it was taken quickly because Ukrainians just traced some shots and then just got the hell out of there because the last thing they wanted to do was to have a firefight around the nuclear plant with all the uh that entailed. And the Russians came in, and they proceeded to run up and down the fields, kicking up radioactive dirt. They dug trenches in the Red Forest, which is akin to, like, digging holes on top of where nuclear bomb has just exploded. So you got all this dirt.
4: Yeah, they slept in them. They, they lived in them. They...
2: And apparently they also stole... <laughs> and there was a report, too, that there was... so. I mean, if it had been an American unit, yeah. there was no way would have done anything like that. That's because everyone knows what happened.
4: No, there'd already be a court case for, uh, you know, uh, radioactive trenches and exposure to veterans. That's what would already happen here. We'd already have like a VA study on why were our troops put into that situation. You know the Russian soldiers have nothing like that to support them if they go into some type of situation to have to get radioactive treatment. They're going to go to their VA? Really? <laughs>
5: Early on, there was a report, and it was unverified, but it's probably a ring of truth in it, that there were a couple of busloads of Russian soldiers who'd been sent to a special radiation unit in Minsk in Belarus, which was a staging area for the Russians, and they were suffering from radiation poisoning from being in that environment. So, And a lot of these Russian soldiers are conscripts, 17-, 18-, 19-year-old boys, And they had no clue what they were getting into. They'd been, you know, the reports that they'd been lied to, they thought they were on maneuvers. They weren't even even sure Mm -hmm. where they were at until they crossed the border. So, you know, when they were ordered to dig in at Chernobyl, I'm sure once they got there, they realized where it was at. I mean, everybody knows what Chernobyl looks like. But the fact that they were put into that, you know, it's complete disregard of their soldiers' lives, which, you know, that's par for the course in Russian history in the Russian military.
4: So... Yeah, that's just like there should be, though, there should be some cause for concern with that young 18 year old future leader to be put into a radiation filled hole and basically buried alive. You you hear me, Russian soldier? You should just totally go home. (laughs)
5: Well, they're doing it again, Zaporizhia, which is, of course, is now under siege, being shelled with the uh, International Atomic Energy Inspectors, supposedly arriving today, but the Russians are stalling that. So that plant's being shelled, and the question is, who's shelling it? Of course, the Russians are saying it's Ukrainians, which doesn't make much sense, but the Russians, and I made this point to another friend earlier in the week, the Russians are fighting a 20th century war against the 21st century Ukraine. And what Craig said was absolutely right. After 2014, the Ukrainian military performed really poorly. They went to NATO, asked for help, got new training, new tactics, some new weapons, particularly the Javelin missiles and the MANPADs. And it revolutionized their own military. It moved away from the old Soviet tactics of uh, of the 1980s. So the Russians, came, it came as a complete shock to them when they moved into Ukraine across four fronts that the Ukrainians weren't fighting like they expected them to. And in fact, you know, they were using small unit tactics and special forces to basically jam up the entire invasion force. I saw a story earlier last week uh, in the Washington Post and uh, that... Uh, One 2,000-man Ukrainian brigade actually stopped 30 of those battalion tactical groups on the road to Kiev just by using creative small-unit tactics. And it was a buzzsaw effect, and the Russians started, you know, they fell back into these World War II-type tactics of, you know, trying to do human wave attacks against these really well-positioned, you know, 2,000 Ukrainian soldiers who were motivated. And they were just highly maneuverable. They were just, you know, shoot and run, run and gun. And the Russians stopped them cold in their tracks outside of Kiev. They never recovered from that. So, the, you know, the, the Ukrainians used that eight-year period from 2014 to 2022 to, uh, to great effect. And, you know, the Russians haven't have have really been able to figure out how to handle them except just by going, reverting back to World War II and even World War One type artillery barrage tactics. So
4: right. – it's like what Craig was saying, you know, I, th- I think Craig said it, it was like supposed to be three days, you know, Putin was like, we're going to be in, they're going to welcome us with open arms, we're going to roll in and no, it, it's not that at all. You just effed around and found out. And that's, you know, I live my life with that motto. So I will find out what happens when I eff around with it. But they're learning. When you eff around with it, you're finding out and, and and that's what's happening. And those people are not giving up the youth, the educated they're willing to pick up arms and die. They're reality stars, they're they're singers of b- bands that are popular, have been going to battle and trying to come on TikTok and like say, "Hey, we're out here, we're fighting, we just want you to know and they're dying." The MMA fighter that just died, that's a Ukrainian superstar, you know, he was found to be killed in the in action. And then today, September 1st, I read on the public headlines of all the media groups that some prominent oil executive was just Fell out of a window in Russia's hospital and died. Yeah, he Putin's side not- walked <laughs> walked right out of a window and fell and died. The oil guy, the guy in charge of all of the oil, at a hospital.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that I story. No, which is a, you know that tends to be a, a trend with Putin. Anybody criticizes him or becomes a political enemy, they tend to you know die or disappear. And in this case, so, you know, supposedly fell out of a hospital, six-floor floor, sixth floor ho- hospital window. And I call it Putin's sci- <laughs> So, uh,
4: Putin's sciatus or something, man. It's a <laughs> disease. You don't want that.
2: The war in Donbass region in the last eight years has basically turned out veteran soldiers. So a lot of these guys go in, they spend their tour in the Donbass region getting shot at. And then they go back to regular uh, to the regular lives. So when the war comes, you've got all these people who know what it's like to be shot at and to shoot at people. So a lot of territorial uh, defense battalions, they stood up. A lot of partisans. They're all veterans. They know how to fight. And just look at the way the Russians do things. The Russians don't.
4: No, they they just don't have that same same thing going on. They didn't get up trained. And what were you going to say, James?
5: Well, the, the, to add to what Craig said in the Ukrainian army, he's absolutely right. You know, they have a cadre of veterans from the eight years of war in Donbass, whereas in the Russian military, it's one year and out. Uh, that you know that you're conscripted, you do your one year of service, and then you return home. As opposed, they also have. Aside from the conscripts, they also have what they call the contract soldiers. And these are guys who are signed on after that one-year obligation's over. They become the NCOs and, the, and such. But they're, they're a much smaller cadre. So the Russians have not had the same level of veteran experience in war fighting because they lost most of their conscripts to return home, unlike the Ukrainians whose conscripts went home. But now they can return easily to the battlefield. The Russians don't have that advantage like the Ukrainians do. It's a home field advantage, essentially.
4: Oh yeah. Oh, oh no, hundred percent. And they're trying to pull the the prisoners out of jail, saying, "Hey, you want to fight or die?" Mm-hmm. Like a Dirty Dozen scenario. You the know, Dirty Dozen, right? Yeah. You know, it's like he's like, "Hello, <laughs> come fight or, or die." You're one way or another. You're going to be in jail, or you're going to be in, you know, in the military, which away? is their oh, jail. Come
2: on in. We can I just the Third Army Corps that just stood up. Exactly. So I mean, Third Army Corps. What's
4: it going to take for the people of? Russia and Ukraine to change their political structure so that Putin's out of it, maybe like even legitimately where he's just elected out. How can we get the Russians to see the Ukrainians as just their neighbors, you know, maybe, you know, their family on both sides, but that's what they are. It's like family on both sides and they're fighting it. How do we, I don't know, how how do we just tell them like you got
2: to... The Russian people are being lied to. They're being told that the Ukrainians are... Nazis, and they have to go in and clean them out, which is funny because Zelensky lost relatives in the
4: Holocaust.
2: So he's about as anti-Nazi as you can get. But like I said, the Russians are being lied to, and Putin doesn't have any challengers. Anyone he thinks is, is a threat to him ends up going through a window eight, six stories up, or dying from a nerve agent.
4: Or like Navalny, you know? Mm-hmm.
2: Or end up in jail. So, if anyone's going to take Putin, it's going to have to be one of the oligarchs or a mix of them. It's, it, right now, yeah, trying to get Putin out of there, you're going to need a big stick of dynamite. <laughs>
0: tika dot
5: com. To, uh, to add to that, I've got both Russian and Ukrainian friends, so I, I get both sure, perspectives. Sure. And you, and starting with the Russians, the Russians have on their national psyche they have a thousand years of of authoritarian rule. And existence, pretty much. Going back to the Mongols, going back to the Sars, it's imprinted on the Russian psyche. So there's this culture of fear that I've noticed that, you know, ever since Yeltsin. In 1991, disestablished established the Soviet Union. You know, they had a taste of freedom. They were obviously enjoying it. But then Putin starts cracking down, particularly with censorship and passing laws that if you criticize the war or the military, you know, you can get a lengthy prison sentence. They've sort of fallen back into that old Soviet citizen mindset that, you know, you don't dare criticize the government or else you'll end up in a Siberian gulag. I mean, that's what sort of surprised me about the Russians. I thought they would actually have a a stronger, homegrown resistance to what Putin's doing. It was there at the start, but then he crushed it within a week. And since then, it's been silenced. The Ukrainians, on the other hand, they have had a very healthy transference back between Ukraine and Western Europe and to the United States. That's how I've met my Ukrainian friends. So they've got a good, healthy dose of Western democracy and freedom and they've brought that home with them, and it motivates them to fight for, you know, the freedom of their country. They don't want to be a part of Russia. You know, they, you know, they don't want any more dictatorship. They want to be able to, you know, to basically establish their own national identity, which they've done, and chart their own path in the world as, as a sovereign country. And they, they were, you know, corruption aside and the problems with the, you know, the two revolutions, the Orange Revolution and the Euro Maiden Revolution – they were on that path. But now the Russians, though, have come and sort of disrupted that. And it's a completely different perspective with the westernized Ukrainians as opposed to the Russian population, which is sort of dropping back into that eastern Tsarist mindset. So, so it's a really weird dynamic, you know, very much, a you know, 20th century versus 21st century. 20th century versus 21st century dynamic going on here between the two populations,
4: and that's another reason. You know, just to just to call your book out for those that are joining us right now. I just want let me just shout out your book real quick. Sure. I believe you're calling it the Russian Ukraine War Fact Book. What's the exact title? Because you've put a lot of time into this. What's the name of that book?
5: Well, it's backwards here on the screen, but it's the uh, russia Ukraine War Fact Book,
4: and it is exactly the Russian Ukraine War Fact Book, and that's being put out right now. And you're going to be able to check that out. You know, if you're listening mm-hmm. to this podcast. Mm-hmm. It has a lot of things going on, and it's cool because it's got a lot of pictures. I'm not going to lie. I like the pictures. They complement it, as graphic as they are, to know that that's within the last six months of combat, seeing tanks blown up in the square of Kiev that are, like, rusted and burnt out. It seems like it's been there forever, you know? And so, you know, as you're flipping through the pages on the video Yeah, you know, to the listener out there, you should just check this book out. Go find it. It's the Ukraine, Russian-Ukraine war fact book, all right? And that has been co-written by Craig up here and James that we're talking to. And they're very accurate, and they know all about this. This is their theater of operation, if you will. And so that's why we're talking all Ukraine. So if you're just joining us right now, again, Ukraine can continue the fight Continue to push back against Russia, but for how long?
2: Well, Ukraine has to wait until. Yeah, that, that's a sixty-four thousand dollar question.
4: And I know there's two of you here, so I, yeah, go ahead, Craig. Let's give Craig a second. Go ahead.
2: I think Ukraine won't be happy until every single Russian is out of Ukraine territory, and that includes that includes Crimea. I've seen enough interviews; these soldiers that they, they have not wavered. They want. They're calling the Russians orcs. That's their nickname for them. And they're calling Russian Mordor. So, as far as... Oh, I see.
5: It's a yeah. token reference. The orcs.
4: Yeah. Russian oh, yeah. orcs. Yeah. So- yeah, Russian orcs and Mordor. And so, the Ukrainians see themselves as the true... They're going to stay. They don't want to change. They're ready yeah. to fight to the death.
2: Yeah, and then they... Jeez. Jeez.
4: Well, why would yeah. they not? I mean,
2: yeah. The thing is, it's not
4: That's what well, America did. America said, we will not be you. We we fought the British and fought and fought and fought. And people were like, you should just stay. Some people probably in America were like, why are we fighting? Why are we fighting? Why are we fighting them? This is a good life. I have a good life. And someone over there is like, I don't want to pay any more taxes. I mean, we fought as Americans for our own you know, independence. I don't see that same drive in a human being being given up if they have made that dedication and that's ukraine to me
5: well ukraine considers the russians rightfully so as an existential threat i mean it's a threat to their existence as a sovereign country and this again goes back to thousands of years of history between the two the two mm-hmm. countries and the question is how long can they last? Well, they can last as long as they keep the ammunition supplies going. I mean, they found their weapon systems, they got the tactics. You know, they've got the drones. That's the really impressive thing. You know, they get, they got these commercial drones that they've done some field modification to that can drop hand grenades into hatches hatches open hatches of tanks and such and blow them up. So that you know, they've got the know-how, it's just they need the ordnance to keep the, you know, to keep fighting. And that's the larger question is not and I— I have this debate with a lot of my friends, you know, why should we care? It's in Europe. Well, how does this affect us? Why should we support Ukraine? Why, you know, why are we spending $40 billion to, to you know, to supply the Ukrainians? To help them. And the yeah. answer is, you know, this feels a lot, Craig and I were talking before, you know, we went live, you know. Uh, this feels a lot like the summer of 1939 with Putin in the role of Hitler. And if you don't stop him now... What happens next? And, it, you know, if we don't stop him now, do we get a bigger war of NATO? Does uh, mm-hmm. Do the Russians make a move on the Baltics? Do they make a move on Alaska? Mm-hmm. You know, I've heard some Russian mm-hmm. politicians, you know, claim that, hey, Alaska's really ours because they really resent giving mm-hmm. away all that oil to us. Mm-hmm. So Correct. where does it end if you don't stop them now? And it's better to fight a proxy war. With the Ukrainians, you know, supplying the man powder, manpower and the motivation to fight, if we can arm them from our stores. That way our boys don't have to fight. Our kids don't have to die in a foreign war. So that's the debate I have with a lot of my friends who say, you know, why should we care? This is not our fight. Really, it is and our if fight. fight. If you don't fight now, when do you fight? When yeah. they show up on your that shores. Yeah.
4: It's too late at that point. Yes. You don't want them here. It's too late.
2: Then so the right. wait five years, and I'm fighting Germany.
4: Yep. Right. Pushing into, you know what, what then? Yeah, then what? You know, some strategic strikes going on around like Ramstein Airbase all, all these different things, all these scenarios, the doomsday clock could be ticking if we don't do something. And that is exactly what we're trying to do is sniff out the fuse. We've all seen the cartoon where the fuse is going mm-hmm. along and they just come over and just put it out with their fingers. That's yeah. what we're trying to do here by helping to do that. Because if it comes to your shores, who's listening to this right now, it's too late. Mm-hmm. And if you're over there fighting, and you're listening to this, you know, Godspeed and safe travels. I don't know what else to tell you. You know, just do your best, and uh, we you have support, all right, for freedom. And uh, that that's that's my opinion. I'm going to say that right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got nothing but support. If you're you're either with them or you're a communist. Sorry, it's like right. you're either like, what are you? What are you? You know? And uh,
5: there's a larger context here too. You know that Ukraine, Russian, the war. Is only one part of the world where also have to keep our eye on the china uh, on uh, people's republic of china and taiwan as well as the iranian the iranians versus iraq and saudi arabia there's trouble going on that we've sort of taken our eye off that in looking at what's going on in europe but you know china has built this huge blue water navy. or you could design. call it west
4: taiwan if you want you know because they yeah. choose to call there. you know you could say oh you mean west taiwan huh how about that you know why don't we say <laughs> that you know because how about I that? Them off. Oh, you mean West Taiwan? Ty- yeah, right there. How about West Taiwan?
5: And the reason for it, a lot that? of people, a lot of people don't understand that that Taiwan is a rival government that was pushed off the mainland Fought during for. the Chinese. Yeah, in 1949, it wasn't captured, Correct. and you know they retreated to Taiwan. They maintained a coherent, sustainable government. So it's a rival government Correct. to the communist government in Beijing. That's why the Chinese, the Red Chinese, are desperate to stamp it out because that. That threat is always there that the Taiwanese or the nationalist government, formerly of Chiang uh, uh, Chick, would come back one day and overthrow them and reestablish national rule in China. So you have that piece there. Then, of course, you know what's going on in the Middle East, chaos. You know, apparently we just lost Baghdad earlier in the week. So there's a makings of a true um, third world war going on right now that if we don't stop it, it can engulf the entire country. And, we, not, you know, it, it's us and we can't stop
2: it.
4: No. And and the thing is, is that, uh, you know, that's why we're showing who we are. We're saying we're here to defend those that are Mm -hmm. uh, looking for that defense. Uh, I believe Finland and some others just joined NATO. Okay. So, you know, yes, Sweden. Thank you very much. And You know, a lot of folks don't realize, maybe they do, I'm just assuming that, you know, it goes all the way back to, like, Norsemen, right? Like, you got Vikings, you've got Mongols, you've got, you know, the Ottoman Empire, you have, you know, the Russians trying to fight over the same place. It can go back to being the Mongolians if it should. If Putin wants to give up Russia, give it back to, you know, who had it in 600, right? So, like, where does he get off? Yeah, right, where does he get off saying he wants it back in the Russian Empire, when it should be back to you know (laughs) prometheus give me a break
5: (laughs) well it's a completely arrogant argument on his part because russia has never been monolithic anyway you know russia uh, has grown from what was used to be the grand duchy of moscow to taking over other surrounding city states and independent states like kazan kazakhstan even the Mongolia, you know, Mongolia became a socialist republic in its own right mm-hmm. in the 1920s, 1930s. So, but, you know, Russia has never been monolithic. It's always had, you know, it's got a different number of languages, ethnic groups and such. So it's not a unified country at all. It's been held together by force of will, by its rulers, and by military force, pure, raw military force.
4: So... Right. And it's amazing how they can just keep control over their country with technology that just wants to ooze into their lives and say, hey, this is what's going on in the world. But somehow they're able to block all that out and just funnel just their information to these huge masses of people that I just – I mean really, you know. (sighs) That's all I got. I <laughs> was just a big sigh. <laughs> it's complicated. It, it'll give you a headache. Yeah. It's
5: headache-inducing just trying to think about all the dynamics at play here yeah. and what it could possibly yeah. lead to if people don't you know, really read their history and you know and, and take an interest in current events and where all this is heading. I mean, it could blow up really easily into a third world war,
2: and we need to do everything we can oh, to really right stop that. Yeah, well, you've got uh, – it looks like at one time the Nobel power War was going to start up again. That down there Armenia and uh, Abujan they're fighting over this little territory yeah. That's, uh, and that came to our attention because of the drones oh, So the Caucasus mountains because of the drones both sides don't have much of an air force so they're using drones in place of the air Force they're using the spot they're using uh, Abujan's using the backtars as uh, strike aircraft to take out uh, Armenian positions. Which is what attracted both of us to uh, that. And we wrote an article, and that ended up in uh, naval proceedings for uh, January. A drone article. And that's the story of how we did this book in the first place. Craig and I were
5: sort of, you know, doing a recap. And the conflict he alluded to, the Armenian Azerbaijan conflict, it's another one of these ancient host, you know, ho- sure. hostile nationals
4: genocide. States.
5: Yeah, Yeah. it goes back to the Ottoman Empire, the Turks are involved, Mm -hmm. and in 1994, they fought a war that the Armenians won. The Azerbaijanis, it's a Muslim country, and it's backed by the Turks, have been plotting their revenge all these years. So in uh, October 2020, Azerbaijan attacked Armenia and won that war in about six weeks, and they did it by using drone technology. And it was a game-changer. Very few people actually paid attention to it. I see it in the news occasionally, but Craig and I took an interest in it. And we realized, hey, this is going to change warfare. So we got together, and Craig and I, we wrote an article for the U.S. Naval Institute Proceedings, which is this, New Wrinkle Drone Warfare. And we made some predictions that, that, you know, when large-scale conflict eventually happens, drones are going to change the battlefield. Boy, were we right. And actually, when the Russians invaded, we were— planning to, you know, to write a follow-up to this article. So that's what got mm-hmm. us onto this uh, this way of thinking, that modern warfare is changing, and it's becoming more lethal. We're approaching a Terminator-type scenario with Less artificial personal. intelligence, mm-hmm. uh, facial mm-hmm. recognition technology. You, ma- you match that up with drone technology. Essentially, you get sentient robots on the battlefield, and we've seen this to a certain extent in Ukraine with you know these hunter killer drones chasing individual Russian soldiers around a battlefield so we're there you know the future is here and you know once someone figures out how to you know to mass manufacture drones and make them smaller you know you got millions of drones roving the battlefield that's terrifying
0: T-I-K-A
4: It's completely terrifying, actually. And, uh, you know, because there's nothing to stop the RoboCop's mindset when it's already programmed. You know, yeah. it's like uh, its initiatives are to kill or w- coming with me dead or alive. You know, it's that yeah. whole mindset. There's no human interaction, unfortunately. Like in RoboCop, he remembers who he is. He's like, I'm Murphy. I'm Murphy. I'm not a human. I'm a am ro- not a robot. But these robots don't know that. They're just yeah, like... They're- they get, 100 of them get shot out, but one of them does its job, and that sucks.
2: You're You're the uh,
4: <laughs> Exactly.
2: Drone swarms, they're using them for displays. They did that at the Olympics, you know, showing having the drone around in patterns. Right. So it's not that hard to go from that to having a swarm of drones attack a target. You know, it's <laughs> not going to be no, uh, an overwhelming they can overwhelm any defenses. And the scary thing is, if you want to take out, say, a leader, you don't have to send a uh, you know, an assassin team. You send a couple of guys with enough drones and they can do a job for you, or suicide drones, which are basically missiles yes. that sold away over the battlefield to have a target and then they dive bomb it. And these single Israelis have one.
4: That's what I was saying. You know, one out of 500, you know. Is it
2: sure? that one's, yeah, one's going to get three. Uh, like
4: yeah, it's just that one. Yeah. Or imagine dive bombing and
2: hitting a vehicle.
4: Okay, so this is like Marvel Universe. Yeah. Now that I think about it. Okay, there's a movie out right now with Marvel, and they're like all these drones are attacking the aircraft carrier in the sky. And they're just like, you know, fighting and drone technology. is just like we need Iron Man for that.
5: Well, wait till we get to Ultron.
4: Oh my gosh. Age of Ultron. <laughs> yeah, no, really. I mean, <laughs> seriously. Now, you guys have been a, a great uh, resource for talking. I really like ping pong and. Uh, all this type of information and going back and forth. I didn't realize what I knew about Ukraine. So I started talking with you today and I'm just like, yeah. you know, what about this and that? And then all of a sudden everything I learned in history, all the things my teachers taught me start flooding back into like, you know, so many people have ruled the U- Russian area, you know, that whole Asia. It's all, of, it's Asia, you know, that's what it of people forget that it's, it's Asia.
2: Well, Ukraine's the biggest, right.
4: And China There's wants an... it all. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about China wants it all. Yeah, sorry. Go
5: ahead. <laughs> well, there's an element, too, that we touch on in the book, but we're, we'll never really know the true story for a few years. That's going to be the intelligence and the clandestine war that's going on right now. And we know that there's a lot of satellite use going on. You know, they They saw that 40-mile-long convoy. In fact there was a private company that contracted the governor that spied the the convoy they were able to attack it before it got to Kiev but we also know that you know the the intelligence services special forces are involved Ukraine obviously has their own special forces. You know, they have a Spetsnaz just like the Russians do. And there's been some inexplicable things going on in the Black Sea area, particularly around Saki Air Base, around the Crimea. So there's also this enormous intelligence, you know, covert operations war that's going on. We don't know the particulars right now. And, it's you know, that's going to be a game-changing, you know, piece of the conflict, too. And we'll probably find out, you know. 10 years from now exactly what happened when things start be, be, becoming declassified or someone writes the, the definitive history of it. So that's a pretty uh, fascinating element, too. I would love to have more information on that. But, of course, you know, for operational security, you know, you're never going to get it. But
2: that's something to keep in mind. You know, there's... This book was designed to get to someone who didn't know anything about the war. This is the first phase. This is basically yeah. up to about April the 7th or yeah. so. And it's... Designed to give someone who doesn't know what the heck's going on, give them an idea, give them a solid understanding. I mean, it's not deep as in into the weeds, but it gives you enough to understand. Okay, this is why the Russians failed. You now, this is what happened here, and it, like I said, it's it's just to give you an understanding of what's going on. We we don't have the resources to go deep. And that's, that's going to be up to other military historians who we'll have access to stuff we don't... We'll be able to write the uh, definitive. But like I said, this is... Just right. ...understanding of, of the first phase of the war. Now, we're working on... Uh, to more yeah. The second one covers from April up to the capture of uh, of the nest. Is that what we agreed read off? Uh, It goes from February... To- yeah, it, it basically. Yeah, it goes from February 24th that's to uh,
5: April 7th, and that's first phase. That's, that's right. when the Russians are pulled. Yeah, that's first phase. And then there was an operational pause, Then the Moskva got hit in the Black Sea, the, the Russian Black Sea uh, fleet's right. uh, 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 flagship. That's the beginning that's of phase right. two. So we're in about phase four right now, and when we started writing this in mid-April, we decided you know right around the time the Moskva was hit that we need to do this and it was going to be a handy you know a handy reference guide it was going to be comprehensive it's not academic we didn't want to put out a 400 page tome that nobody's going to read right so, you know, something
4: that had visuals and uh straight to the point is, uh knowledge and uh why they've been at war and why they're in war and why Putin thinks he needs it and why Ukraine thinks they want it and it's really straightforward i I mean, I kind of perused it pretty quickly, and I, get, I guess that's probably also your – I'm going to consider you one of my history teachers now, so thank you.
5: All right. Hey. <laughs> that's why I used to do it in former life. Too. I was a history teacher, so that's
4: why I talk well, so much. I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now something funny. I was in special ed, and I know a lot of people will believe that, okay? But I, was a, I had two teachers, so having both of you on here with me right now, helping me understand a little more, I really appreciate that to you. I just want to let you know, so –
5: hey it's it's our pleasure so and you know that's the whole point of the exercise is you know to help people understand what's going on and here's you know the facts and you know here's it's easily digestible
4: and you know we take a messy history
5: and try to make it you know at least you know somewhat understandable
4: right see everybody thinks like you have to be you know some type of special forces or special operations to host this show no bro special ed that's what's up right here okay i'm gonna tell you right now okay <laughs> we all bleed the same blood at the end of the day i promise you that that's right and i want to say to my friends listening in uh you know moscow we all bleed the same blood and to my friends in the ukraine we all bleed the same blood and i'm over here in utah i, I stand with no more war you know i work for a, a company that brings media and journalism from that type of situation and we see so much of it that I'm i'm down to like you know see a calming so I really appreciate having both of you on the show and, and James and Craig, let's go with James first. I'm going to give you a second to maybe say your book or a link or where anybody can check out maybe something that you're a part of. And then Craig, uh, once he's done, I'll let you have a, a moment to say the same thing or agree, etc.
5: Yeah. The uh, Russia Ukraine war fact book was released on Tuesday. It's available at our website, military miniature press.com. Really easy to find. Just Google military miniature press and, this is our uh, little uh, advertisement, and such. So it's also available on Amazon.com. Just, just do a, a, a title search for it, and it will come right up. So uh, we hope it's a you know a, a nice reference guide for people
2: who need to understand the war but are having problems with the history. Yes, as for me, I'm I'm writing other things. I'm working on the volume two now. Uh, we're working on it, and uh, well, I write other things. I write uh, for the Baltech Gaming line. I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's just basically a space opera with giant
4: I see it on your wall, and I was going to bring it up.
2: <laughs> with giant stompy robots. Sort of like, ga- uh, yes. sort of like Game of Thrones with uh, sci-fi. Like robots. Like giant stompy robots is the best way to describe it without uh, BattleTech going into too much detail. Yes. So I've got another novel coming out, and that line should be out sometime soon. I don't know exactly when, but I'm working on volume two. looks like. Uh, and putting together a t- uh, outline for volume three, and I think line, I don't know if this count actually will be volume three or volume four. We have to decide on that. Yeah, we don't know how the war's going to end at this point. We do know
5: that there's yeah, going to be gonna follow-on <laughs> books. You know, as as you know, we can yeah. identify when when a specific stage or phase of the war ends, we can actually yeah. add to it now. And there'll, there'll be short short books, forty-eight pages, sixty-four max, to, to add on to sure. this. You know, to sort of bring them up to date, kind of like a source book. You know, in the gaming world, you have the core source book, and then you have supplementals. Mm-hmm. That's how we envision running this series in the future.
4: I love it. I love it i'm a gamer and it makes sense to me to do that you're like here you go and again that's why i have a hard time dating my podcasts when i talk on them because i want them to kind of be just when you listen to it it's like we're we're lit talking now but this is real this is today it's september 1st 2022 and uh there's a war going on in ukraine against russia and uh, we're talking about it and i have had the pleasure to talk with craig reed and james reif who have authored the book that we've talked about today. Let me just make sure I say it one more time correctly, which is the uh, Russian Ukraine war fact book that can be found on Amazon. And I just want to wind down our show and say, thanks for dedicating an hour of your time to talk to myself and my listener and those that are viewing this. Thanks for commenting down below and all that stuff you do when you subscribe and hit that button. I also want to give a shout out to SoftRep for going on its 10 year anniversary this, this month of September. Congratulations to SoftRep and Brandon Webb and everybody that's been a part of SoftRep. You know, this episode right here will be played during that month of September. So thanks for being a part of our 10-year anniversary podcast. I'm very privileged to have been the first person to launch SoftRep with Brandon on video 2012. i would like, hey, so you're Brandon Webb. He's like, yeah, you're rad. I was like, so what do you got going on? He's like, Soft Rep. And I was like, let's be friends. And we've been friends ever since. So I want to say thank you to B-Web and everybody who's come along in my life in this 10-year journey. And I look forward to future uh, endeavors with everybody out there. So again, James and Craig, you guys have been a pleasure. I totally know what Battletech is. It's our pleasure. I love talking to you guys. So we will catch you on the flip side. And this is Rad saying peace.